0: Consumption of single-use plastic waste has skyrocketed during the pandemic. According to one research group, more than 8 million tons of pandemic-associated plastic waste have been generated globally, with more than 25,000 tons entering the global oceans. Just think about how much single-use plastic you use in a single day. For me, it's astounding. Nearly everything I bring home from the grocery store has some sort of plastic associated with it, and 90% of that I throw away at the end of the week. However, I was lucky enough to sit down with Carlo and Tebow from Flexi who are working to solve this problem. You are here for another dose of climate positivity on the Green Business Impact Podcast. Here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change. If you are ready to be inspired to take action, ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. And so not to waste any more time, let's get on in. And Carla, would you mind telling me a little bit more about Flexi and what you guys do?
1: Flex is a product that started just over two years ago when the very beginning of COVID. Basically, I was finishing my master's at uh, Imperial College London and I went back home and I had a lot of time on my hand. And at the same time, I also had a lot of plastic coming home through the grocery deliveries and through the uh, Amazon and basically we were just stuck at home. So everything that had to come home had to come packaged in some form. I was losing all this plastic and I thought we had to do better, mainly because there's the two main solutions which are put out there to the world today bioplastics already exist and recycling are flawed in a certain sense and are failing in many ways. If you take recycling, for example, there's roughly 25% of plastic that we use is collected for recycling because it relies on post-consumer consumption sorting, which of course isn't always very precise. And not only is so little collected, but even less between 7 and 10% is actually recycled. So. Recycling is failing to actually solve the plastic issue. If you look, pre problem uh, solution, if you like, trying to replace plastic itself with existing bioplastics. You have yeah, bioplastics in the market today, which are very expensive, and they are derived from food crops, which are in direct competition with food production. So the main ones would be corn, sugarcane, salad and potatoes as well, beetroot. and They are all derived from food crops, which not only take away from the food competition, as I said, but they also require arable land, Freshwater, pesticides, fertilizers, and the end result, the bioplastic that comes out of the whole cycle, is actually not even truly compostable, it's what we call industrially compostable, which means that if you put it in nature, it will stay there pretty much indefinitely or for a very long time. The only way it can actually biodegrade is if you put it in special industrial composting facilities, which will put it in high temperatures, high microbial activities, which are not natural, and it will eventually biodegrade. So I thought, let's do better. Uh, We can do bioplastics from these sort of land crops. Maybe we can do bioplastics from water plants, water crops, and look at seaweed, how it's a very promising resource, how it's very uh, renewable, grows rapidly, takes in a lot of CO2 as it grows, and it's an emerging market growing very rapidly. So I put in a lot of work and basically came out of lockdown with the very first prototype of what was to become the flex material that we're working on today. Then my background is in business. I'm not a science guy. And they realized I had science limitations at a certain point. And just after New Year's 2021, I called Thibaut, who is, on the other hand, a science guy. His background is in material science and engineering. I've known him for a very long time. I used to do rowing with with his brother. So we go back many years. told him, listen, Thibaut, you take care of the science side. I take care of the business side. Let's see where this journey leads to. And since the material has improved a lot and the journey has led us to integrating three different accelerators in three different countries, we're currently raising investment, and we're trying to actually get the material to market eventually, and we're doing intensive R&D processes.
0: That's really awesome. Wow. You wanted to transition from the land crops, and then you, you were looking into different sea crops. Like, What made you decide upon seaweed versus you know any other crops or other land plants that grow really rapidly, like kudzu, which grows extremely rapidly um, and is all over the southeast of the United States? So like, what, what led you to seaweed?
1: well i mean there's also uh, other land crops that you could say the same thing for example uh, hemp which is becoming more and mm-hmm. more or less stigmatized and people are starting to have a uh, hemp clothing there's also some hemp plastic here and there but they're mostly uh, fiber composites the issue is that all these require fresh water and arable lands. and even if you talk about more invasive species like hemp which grows with little to no uh, fertilizer and pesticides At the end of the day, you're still taking out land which could be used for food production, and it requires fresh water, which is an increasingly scarce resource. Also, seaweed is much more renewable in the sense that it has a much quicker growth cycle. For example, the seaweed that we use, we could go from planting the initial propagules, go through the growing phase and harvest the seaweed In just 45 days which is incredibly fast and faster than any other land crop and it's one thing that that
2: people people are
1: not often aware is that uh,
2: when you say that we're taking a marine resource like seaweed people may think um, we are going to drain the oceans from another resource again and you're just collecting it not cultivating it but having two different you have two different types of reproduction with seaweeds you have the classic reproduction where you need to basically replant seedling every time and then you have as carlo mentioned the propagule growth where basically you just chop a bit of the seaweed and then you leave the main stem and then it will just grow back which allows that cultivation process to be very rapid and efficient and in some places you can have up to seven harvests per year which is absolutely huge with growth cycles of 45 days as carlo said you don't have to chop down the whole tree like an apple tree you know you're you're harvesting it every year you can continually It's like you were just taking the apples or just chopping the branches, but the branches don't take years and years to grow back.
0: Right, right. Only take 45 days,
2: right? Yeah. That's that's
0: incredible. Do you have seasons if you have to do this in terms of like growing seasons or is it depending on area, if it's off the coast of Southern California, it's kind of like year round
2: or what does that look like? So because those seaweeds are cultivated in tropical waters, This allows to have uh, collect all year long. And this is why you have seven harvests, which pretty much corresponds to the growth cycle of 45 Uh, days. Depending on the type of seaweed, I know that the ones we're using, uh, one of them uh, is seven harvests. And another one that could produce the same type of polymers is five harvests per year, which is still incredibly more than if you were considering beets or uh, sugar cane, which would be a six month cycle. And then harvest will be twice a year. Plus, as you mentioned, you don't depend on the quality of the soil where depending on the seasons, you have to mind about that here because you can take it all all year long. This is great. And it's another differentiation with cultivation versus harvest because seaweed wild harvest also exists. But because you don't want, as I said, to deplete the marine soils as a resource, there are limitations and legislation where, for example, I know that some of the seaweed species in Portugal can only be harvested three months in the year between may and end of july august so that gives you an idea of the the production side and um, i guess i'll continue yeah, here forward from a uh, carlos bit of the story because i enter the 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 company so when Carlos contacted me that was end of february early march uh basically he called me saying hey have an idea of a startup, have the business plan, have a very rough prototype, which is like a proof of concept. And according to me, because there are projects out there trying to do the same or similar things, but they're not on the market, it justifies that what we're doing is possible. It justifies it in the eyes of the investors, but it's also an opportunity because no one is on the market. yet, So there's still something to do. And if we bring a slight change to it, this is where we can be better than the others. And that slight change is in the resource. I was talking about different types of seaweed and where most of the people doing, and most of the startups in the project doing seaweed bioplastic are using brown seaweed, which are part of the three main genres of seaweed. You have green, brown, and red. The red ones are the ones that are cultivated the most. And this is why for us, this would be an argument to produce a more scalable plastic. And also in the terms of the properties that are conferred by those polymers, Contained in the red seaweed it allows us to tackle a different market segment and allow us to have different properties like better transparency. If I show you some of the prototype, this is one of the ones that we're we're doing. this would be a prototype packing a little sachet for crackers
0: uh, and I'll take that I mean but this looks like regular pr- plastic so <laughs>
2: yeah. same if you look for like a pack of pasta like this, you can see the level of transparency. And it's just like your average plastic. So this is what we're trying to do now, just follow up on the plastic itself. In terms of the properties, obviously, because we are very early stage, as I mentioned, Carlo joined, uh, called me to join the company in April, 2021, uh, we, we incorporated the company, it was at that moment then uh, we transformed that very rough prototype that Carlo had initially into that more advanced prototype. And now the funding that we're looking is what we need to make it go from the prototype stage to the MVP stage and then going into scaling, getting out of the lab, et cetera, et cetera. Definitely. In terms of scaling your harvest sites right now, how much
0: potential do you have in terms of harvest sites? So the
2: harvest sites are available. The top bit of the availability is on the legislation side, on the authorization from the countries to give the economic space uh, and the area and the water to do the cultivation but with many coalitions of uh, seaweed farmers and seaweed end users like us and coalitions like the safe seaweed coalition the seaweed for europe coalition those are people who really do a great job in bringing everyone together to both um, boost the industry of the seaweeds so in the using usage part But also in the cultivation because it raises awareness for the countries, for the governments, for the legislations to understand how important seaweed cultivation can be and how much of an economic and environmental impact it will have so that the countries are more aware of it and more willing to give space for the cultivation in the future. Awesome. So is that your main goal right now? The main goal obviously is to tackle plastic pollution where it's relevant. Obviously, but a big emphasis on that thing where it needs to be a relevant application. Uh, single-use plastics um, are great uh, because they can do so many things. When people demonize plastics. I think it's a bit too extreme and we have to understand what it allows us to do. And there are many economic savings that we're doing things plastic. But now we need to put the, the practical and the environmental together and find a way to do bioplastics but again it needs to be in a relevant area and this is why i was talking about the biscuit sachets monodoses like this where you would do cocoa powder and you just dissolve it in hot water monodoses of sugar of salt stuff like this that i really think we can get by without using conventional plastics because they're such in a, in a fast consumption cycle then the objective of the fundraising right now so that i think this is more the answer to your question that 1 million pounds that we're looking for, so approximately $1.4 million, is mainly for the R&D. Uh, we need to get out of the lab scale, we need to finish that material, we need to understand the manufacturing techniques so that we can produce it on a pilot scale and optimize the process, because right now everything is done by hand in the lab. So this is the main goal right now, and not really the raw material. Right now, we have to depend on not the seaweed producers themselves, but the one who transformed that seaweed into, they don't transform it, they extract the polysaccharide, which is the polymer that is inside the seaweed. And then we use that polymer in conjunction with additives. And then we have our patented formulation, which is our core value. And then we do the plastic with this. But in the future, eventually, not on the seed round, probably on the series A or series B, we will want to integrate vertically in that chain to do the extraction ourselves and then further on either invest in a seaweed farm or develop our own. Obviously that would be the absolute best because it would decrease the price of the raw material. And with the carbon absorption of the seaweed itself, that would allow us to get access to blue credits, blue carbon credits, which we could reinvest to subsidize the growth of the seaweed and even further down the price of the plastic in the end. Gotcha.
0: Very, very cool. Lots of lots of really good information there. And you know there's you you you've got a a long way to to make that happen but you you guys have got got the got the skills and got got the necessary things to to make make that growth possible so um where do you see kind of the you know, you're you're talking earlier about Series A that you're looking at, then maybe the Series B where you're getting into possibly creating your own seaweed farm. So, what would help you lead down that road and get to that point where you are looking at creating your own farm? What are the, the milestones that you hope to get to?
1: As we said right now, we're working on improving the material, the rd and that is the main step that we're going to do now. Once uh, that will be done, and we estimate this will take a year and a half to two years hopefully less if we can go fast we want to eventually find partners to actually bring this to the market but until then we want to find funding both through angel investors as as we are doing right now but we're also in talks with some VC uh, funds private family offices and of course we want to access media and communication is very important for us i think that even though we are not B2C company, we're always ab B2B because who would buy plastic just to buy plastic, right? Companies buy plastic. Common people don't buy plastic. They buy products packaged in plastic. But even then, we need to sort of have, we need to bridge the gap between these companies that would be our customers, so the people buying the plastic to package things into it, and the people who are the end consumers and who eventually dispose of plastic, but who make use of the plastic. Because we're strong believers that if we tell people that solutions like ours exist, we tell people that a better solution to plastic exists, that we can have a plastic without the problems, we have a plastic that biodegrades naturally, a bioplastic which is of natural origin and even the resource, is not a fossil fuel fuel source such as petrol, chemical plastics, we have a renewable resource for which we make the plastic, then they will start demanding this material into their everyday objects that they buy, into their fast food containers everywhere applications are endless and if they want this material eventually the big companies are going to start looking for this material and giving it to them because of course companies only make a profit if they give people what they want otherwise people won't buy it or they might be less inclined to buy it so that's why we want to communicate to put this commercial pressure on the manufacturers that eventually will help us get to market and we don't want to do this just because we want to make profit we want to do this because it it is eventually good for everyone, not just for us, because of course we're making the company going. But we're here to have an impact. We're here with a purpose. The company, I think the company started when I was noticing all the plastic coming home. So it really would be a good closure of the circle, if you like, to actually make sure that we're not only making profits, make a profit, but we're trying to get the company growing and expanding and having a global impact because of the reason behind it, which is we want to reduce plastic consumption and we want to improve. The afterlife plastic because right now it is unsustainable and it's just gonna get worse with increasing populations and increasing especially with COVID that came, a lot of people are buying more and more single doses, single uses. There's extra precautions being taken from a sanitary point of view because of course packaging helps keep things sanitary. But if you're keeping anything sanitary by having a hundred sachets of monodoses and then these are all being burnt up, sent to landfill or even worse in the environment, they're not really helping anyone
0: definitely not i agree for sure and a big thing that you're talking about here which i've heard summarized is it's people profit and planet the three p's because you can't just focus on one of those it's really all three of them they're they're combined in so many ways and especially with the profit side a lot of earlier environmentalist groups were always focused on the planet or you know a socialist kind of group where we really focused on the people side but it's really all three you've got to include all three because if you don't focus on the profit you can't help as many people you know you can't get out there Absolutely. and spread your word more and with more success and more more profit allows you to have a bigger impact so it's it's really all three and i think you guys are are really going
1: down that road for sure yes this the triple bottom line is of really at the <laughs> core of what we're trying to do as you said. A company without profits—it's not a profit. It's not a company. It might be an NGO which works with grants and donations, but it only goes so far. If we wouldn't, if we didn't manage to have profits in the long run, which right now we don't have profits, but hopefully one day we will. If we didn't have those, we wouldn't. We wouldn't just be. We would, It would turn a sustainable company like we want to be into an unsustainable system. Exactly. I know you're
0: talking about R&D for the next like year, year and a half, two years. Is that? your main goal for 2022?
2: Do you have other goals that you're looking at trying to achieve this year? I guess, yeah. R&D obviously is the main goal for 2022, going hand in hand with the fundraising because R&D is expensive, (laughs) especially for a hardware company. Um, There's a lot of software fintech companies out there raising millions and millions uh, for a product that can be finished in six months. That's not the case with hardware. We're learning it the tough way and we took that challenge and now it's it's our turn to Make it worth it, but that's I'd say um, to answer uh, the, the previous question on uh, what was the biggest struggle in trying to market taxi on social media. I would say that because the product is not finished yet, people might expect a bit too much or come to us directly on a commercial agreement purpose. But the thing is, there not everyone understands the dynamics of a a startup and entrepreneurship because it's very. Very particular, when you talk to corporates and bigger entities who apply a business plan, we are in the in the research of one, and that's the main difference here. And the second thing is understanding the dynamics and the timescales of the development of, a, of the hardware, of the material. You need to create it, you need to benchmark it, you need to do a whole lot of testing, and then you go back to the lab and you reiterate. And once it's good, you have to go to the lab again, to the drawing board, and get all of the manufacturing process, design the machinery, Put the IP on it and get all the accreditation for the food safety, for the food contact, etc. Get it approved in Europe, in the US, talk to the FDA, the FSA, etc. So advertising the products is great. Now we always need to put another, like we get two images. This is the image of the plastic producer and the image of the impact maker. The impact maker is really easy to transfer, to tell to the people. It's really easy to say, we make a bioplastic. Already everyone is is going with you. Now telling them it will take a bit of time and then you have to change a bit of your habits in terms of the the waste collection and you have to know that there are funding and there is other things involved in creating it. This is a bit harder to convey, especially when you talk to investors. The presence in social media is great. We need it in 2022, not for the commercial side, but mainly because it will tell uh, the investors, hey, we are here, we are working uh, for the for us. It's also a way to convey our different milestones. If we have an interview in 2021 talking about a rough prototype and we don't have anything else and no funding, and then a year later we say in another interview, we've had funding, we have started the fundraising, we've received X amount from an angel investor, we now have letter of intent with SM, uh, SMEs and bigger industrial groups. That shows there is progress that also keeps everyone um, really excited for the progress of the material so that's the ambition for 2022 going forward and showing people that in a very short amount of time we are able to make great changes both on the material and on the industry as a result right definitely social media is
0: definite asset for your company because you can get that message out there continuously. People can keep seeing your updates and being able to also reach out to these potential investors that might not know about you, right? Being able to go out there and, and get in front of new people continuously is really important. So if you've got, you know, anyone looking to market their new green business or considering which ways to market green their green business, which way would you consider a big tip?
2: So obviously, the obvious ones would be make an Instagram page, a Twitter page, Facebook page, et cetera. Right. We still have to set up ours because it's a matter of time. It's just the two of us for now. And obviously, we are looking to get a media manager, et cetera. But I think to get it out there, it depends what you consider a social media. If you just talk about the main ones, the mainstreams like Instagram, Twitter, etc., that's one thing. And then you have all the networking platforms that are a bit more professional, not only LinkedIn, other, maybe more internal networking platforms. This is where you need to go. You need to make sure that you are advertising your business in the right environment. Having an article posted in something super famous but that doesn't really match your profile may not bring you as much as if you post it on a very green focused and environmentally focused media where there's just a couple hundred hundreds of people looking at it, but they are working in your space. They might have advice for you. They can do co-working with you. You can have collaboration opportunities. They can give you advice for the fundraising. Even some investors can be in there, potential customers, et cetera, et cetera. So knowing your audience, that's is the biggest tip I can give. I agree.
0: Knowing your audience is key. Carlo, did you have anything to add?
1: No, really, I totally agree. And yeah, I mean, it's better to target perhaps smaller platforms sometimes that have a much higher uh, engagement rate because people are actually set in the mindset and are looking for things that you post rather than just put your hook out in the open ocean and hope something comes out of it. I mean, yeah, you can have big fish, but... There might be many, many less than than if you go straight and targeted. And you get a much better ROI on on that sort of targeted marketing than if you were to just run them. Definitely. For this last question here, what is the number one way that somebody can get in touch with you guys? You can either find us on our website at flex-c.com Or you can find us on our LinkedIn page. Actually, through our website, you can also fill in the contact form. We're very active. We reply as soon as we can. We've started a lot of very interesting and insightful conversations with people that have actually contacted us through the website. So don't think it's an empty link. It works. And we're actually looking forward to hearing from you guys.
2: LinkedIn and website is the best. Uh, Plus, you can learn so much more on the website as well. If you have any questions, again, feel free to join us on LinkedIn. Completely open. Awesome. Thanks, guys.
0: For listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed receiving another dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on the Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of top minds in the green industries and if you are interested in seeing the faces of the people in these podcasts or receiving free business training specifically geared to green businesses make sure you check out our youtube channel and subscribe thanks again and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of climate positivity